0: Hi. Welcome to episode 32 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the surprising hawkish evolution we saw from the ECB last week and the potential impacts on the euro and broader FX markets. The title for this week's episode is ECB Hawks Want In to the Global Tightening Club.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a
0: New York-based FX strategist. I'm Steven's co-host.
1: In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities.
0: We strive to make this show as interactive as possible So don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us.
2: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries.
1: Thanks very much for that intro, Greg. I'm actually really excited about this topic today, but uh, let's just get things, uh, let's do things by the book. For the record, it's the 8th of February, 2022. Welcome to Global Exchanges, episode 32. Thanks for joining us.
0: So, wow, where to begin? I guess I'll start by noting that three-month implied vol in Eurodollar drifted down to extremely cheap levels in late December and early January. The first week of January, Implied vol was generally trading cheaper than 5.5. I guess that's one issue the FX market can say a giant oops about. It was quite a pop in Eurodollar last Thursday and Friday. We ended up with about a 2% move in 24 hours. In fact, the width of Thursday's trading range, and, and by that I mean the gap from the high to the low, was actually bigger than the width of the trading range for the entire month of December. So let's start there, Stephen. What do you make of the price action?
1: Well, although we can't say it convincingly yet, Greg, uh, that we're on the cusp of a major paradigm shift uh, in FX to a much higher volatility environment, the dynamic you mentioned could be one of the first pieces of evidence that the FX space is about to get a lot more exciting. Uh, as you know, and as some of our listeners know, we've been talking about the huge volatility in the rate space for months while FX has been pretty much a passive bystander and all that, maybe things are finally changing, Greg.
0: Lots of central banks have made hawkish gestures over the past few months without much of an impact on FX. So why the 2% FX response to the ECB, do you think?
1: A few reasons, Greg. Uh, One, because it opens the door to another type of paradigm shift, uh, which could at some point see the ECB exiting its negative interest rate policy. Two, uh, because the highest ranking ECB officials up until that time, uh, that that is of the last press conference, were not equivocating about the path for interest rates in 2022. And you'll probably remember the phrase well, Greg, which was more or less, an interest rate hike in 2022 is unlikely. At that last press conference, though, President Christine Lagarde started equivocating uh, while drawing attention to record high inflation in the euro area during the month of January She got a little bit more evenly balanced about the risk of a hike in 2022. Uh, I mean, this is not exactly a full account of what was going on behind the scenes at the last meeting of the governing council. What I've just described is what the market saw as as the effect or the result of that meeting. Now, Greg, I also think positioning in the euro had a substantial impact on price action uh, on that day. What do you think about the positioning factor in euro then and also as it currently stands?
0: Great question. I would tend to agree that there must have been some so-called fast money players who were short euro headed into the meeting, and presumably they're out now. For what I'll call medium-term money, I spent a lot of time parsing the CFTC's commitment of traders data, and specifically what is identified as the leveraged funds category within that data set. According to the survey that was taken two days prior to the ECB, IMM leverage funds were what I would call moderately short Euro heading into the ECB meeting with a position that was basically the same as it was the first of the year. My guess is that when we see that data from the survey that will be taken later today, we'll find that this group is still moderately short Euro with maybe only a slight reduction in the scale of their Euro shorts. So lastly, for long-term money, and by that, I primarily mean market participants like central banks and equity managers who tend to only rebalance their currency weights maybe once a quarter or so. I think they went into this ECB meeting underweight euro, and I think they're comfortable remaining underweight euro uh, unless the rally extends another 3 to 5%, call it uh, further. So let's get you back in the hot seat, Stephen. How much has your outlook for euro dollars shifted?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking, Greg. I appreciate it. I've reluctantly dropped my prior view for retest of the 110 level uh, during the first half of the year. If you think back to our annual outlook, uh, which we published in December, I had put 110 at the three-month tenor for the euro-dollar curve. And now what I'm saying is I think that the ECB shift will make a retest of that level or below less likely.
0: Okay, uh, fair enough. So, Stephen, can you give us a run through of what you think are the key fundamentals or moving parts that we have to monitor between now and the March ECB rate decision?
1: Well, in terms of the key fundamentals for monitoring, in addition to, of course, the euro, Greg, I think one set of moving parts that will be relevant heading into the March ECB rate decision is euro area, longer term, sovereign bond yields and credit spreads. Uh, The adjustments we've been seeing already and possibly possibly more adjustments to come could feed directly into the next policy decision and possibly the bank's longer term forecast. As for the economic data, uh, I don't think there's any more important print over the next month or so than the preliminary February reading on euro area CPI inflation compiled by Eurostat. Uh, That's released on March 2nd, eight days before the bank's policy announcement. And prior to the preliminary estimate for euro area inflation, uh, we get German inflation data handed to us on March 1st, uh, also for the month of February. Uh, I think the number one question I'm seeking an answer to is inflation. Uh, is it becoming a bigger problem for the euro area or is it close to peaking and rolling over?
0: So, Stephen, let me ask you a follow-up there. We talked about the so-called club in our title. The club of G10 central banks that have already tightened is a small one. It is composed of the Norges Bank, Bank of England, and RBNZ. Now, looking at the calendar, it's interesting. The ECB's next meeting on March 10th is six days prior to the Fed's meeting on the 16th. The BOE is also the week after the ECB. Its next meeting is on March 17th. The uh, G10 central banks that have meetings prior to the ECB are the Riksbank, Bank, and that's day after tomorrow, the RBNZ, on February 23rd, and then the Bank of Canada on March 2nd. Could what these central banks choose to do influence the decision of the ECB on March 10th?
1: You know, perhaps uh, to answer your question, Greg, they could influence the ECB if their policy decisions were way out of line with the consensus, but in all honesty, I think the central bank decision which matters most to the ECB is the feds. And as you rightly point out, it may be difficult for the ECB to gauge the FOMC this time around because the two rate decisions are separated by almost two weeks with the ECB leading the Fed not following it in this case. So let me ask you, Greg, is it possible for the head of the ECB to get some type of a steer from Jerome Powell about what the Fed is likely to do in March?
0: Great question. The weekend of February 17th and 18th. That is the scheduled date of the next G20 Central Bank Finance Minister Confab. Bali is supposed to be the venue. I guess we'll still have to see with regards to who goes to this in person, but there will be some type of formal G20 Central Banker discussion then. And then look, on a personal and institutional level, there is a deep friendship there and constant communications between the Fed and the ECB. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure Lagarde will have a conversation with Powell in the days prior to the ECB, but I'm also pretty sure that Powell would only speak for himself with no guarantees on what the Fed's whole committee will decide. And with that, oh, the joy of committees. Lagarde's is a lot more complicated to deal with than Powell's, right?
1: You know, Greg, I think that's an accurate depiction of the euro area. Uh, It's complex with 19 different countries to set a single monetary policy for. Of course, I could be completely wrong about this. This is just my assumption. But it looks to me like the hawkish faction within the ECB's governing council pushed back very hard at the February meeting, armed with a surprisingly strong set of January inflation data. And I think there are at least a few factors which motivate these ECB hawks. Firstly, Fear of inflation from having to share a monetary policy setting with economies that have much higher levels of sovereign or private sector debt in relation to GDP. Secondly, for some of them, maybe not all of these policymakers, but some of them, they fear what the theory of monetarism says about the effect of huge money supply growth on inflation. Uh, And thirdly, all you have to really do is look at the construct of the euro area. There are some policymakers in the northern bloc of countries who fear being caught in an inflation trap due to persistent fiscal and monetary support for the Southern Bloc. Also, a simple question, if you were to flip things around and the North needed the South to bail it out, could that actually happen? I don't think it could. So there's always a risk of burden sharing being very uneven across countries that use the euro as their currency.
0: So I think we've gone down a couple of interesting tangents here, but I want to get back to your euro-dollar outlook. If I could summarize what I think you said, you said that you're still somewhat bearish on euro dollar over the medium term, but you think that 110 is less likely to trade in the first half of the year than it was, you know, say a week or two ago. Is there anything else that you want to add? Any additional details to your outlook curve? Or since we're both trained economists slash strategists, do you have any additional
1: provisos, any if, ands, or buts? Sure, Greg, Uh, and- for the record, I may be thanking you for this get-out-of-jail-free card at some point. Um, look, my view that a move to 110 or less in dollar is now less likely is conditioned on the assumption that the ECB will, when push comes to shove, walk the walk as well as talk the talk if the Fed delivers four to five 25 basis point hikes this year and gets QT rolling relatively soon. say no later than July. And incidentally, a July QT start is what BMO's economics team is forecasting for the Fed. So as an example, remember those moving parts we were talking about before, as an example, if the February inflation data due in early March moves against the ECB, so in other words more upward pressure on inflation, and the Fed delivers in March while the ECB doesn't surprise hawkishly, uh, then the risk is we have yet another regime shift in euro dollar, but this time it would be a bearish one, I think. Now, based on what our rate strategy and economics teams are predicting, it's going to be tough, I think, for the Fed to completely outhawk the markets in March. But I still think that if the Fed delivers in March and the ECB simply commits to ending asset purchases in, say, December, euro is not going to rally that much at all, especially if inflation surprises on the top side in the euro area, because it will look like the ECB can't react. And I think this dynamic is the fundamental aspect of the uplift we've been seeing in euro dollar implied volatility. Uh, there's been a rebellion by the hawks within the governing council, I think. It has uh, bought the ECB time by taking downward pressure off the euro, but if the ECB needs to respond forcefully in response to inflation and whatever the Fed does, and it can't, I think the euro will will back off again.
0: So after last week, what would constitute a hawkish surprise by the ECB in March?
1: Right, Greg. So I'm not going to say my analysis is flawless, and I may be missing out some factors, but in my opinion, the main hawkish surprise is that the ECB brings forward the end of QE to Q1 or mid Q2 uh, at the March decision. If that's the case, then we have not seen the end of the squeeze on euro shirts yet, and that action by the ECB would, I think, lay the groundwork for the ECB to hike interest rates before year-end, possibly twice, while it moves to simply reinvesting the proceeds of its maturing assets, basically keeping the balance sheet steady.
0: All right. That's very helpful for my understanding. And hopefully it's helpful for our listeners too. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us to the end of the episode. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash exchanges
1: We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider.
0: This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative.
2: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified,